Welcome to In The Isles, the movie and TV podcast that will never have a leadership contest. I'm James. I'm Dan. This week, we're going to talk about what we've been watching, including a mini main review, a sub-featured review of The Black Phone with Ethan Hawke. We'll do real news. And our main review is the quirky comedy Brian and Child. So close to getting that all done in one (laughs) go. Brian and Charles. What's the mini main review? The Black Phone. But that you, you listed it as something different. We'll just do it as part of what we've been watching, and that'll right. end with yeah. Black Phone yeah, yeah, yeah. as a sort of... With it, yeah. with it. On the Instagram, it'll be Brian and Charles and the Black Phone next to each other, but like bigger in biggish images, just to make the just to make the image more 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 palatable. Because Brian bigger Charles, than... Charles, yeah. For Love and Thunder. Did you see my little slide that I put on the post? Not going to give it the uh, the screen time or space. Space. I'm going to have to. <laughs> I'm going to have to log log in and actually look at it. Just bear with me. So it's not worth it. It is not worth it. I've already committed. Okay. I would recommend. Ah, being yeah, that's very on. good. Very yeah. good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the smallest thing. Yeah, I see what you've done. I love that. Didn't deserve it, but. How are you? Are you well? I'm great, thank you. I'm great. I have... I'm trying to close my window. I might be able to hear the children screaming. Not I could screaming. hear them. Not, not, they're not screaming, they're playing. <laughs> uh, cleaned out my box room so much that it's. It, I've t- we've turned it into like a mini office slash playroom and it's like we've had a mini, mini house move because we've invented a whole new room for ourselves to do things in. Basically unrecognisable, like Hopper in season four of Stranger Things. Yes, exactly like that. So I'm sat I'm sat in an office. Well, not an office. I've just got a nice clean space behind me now. Don't have to blow my background. <laughs> you never had to for me. Yes, yeah. so you know. It's the uh, sort of relationship that we have. Yeah. That's all that I've done. How are you? I'm I'm all right. I went on a stag do. Way uh, lodge, 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 lodge. Wee, um, tinny, tinny, as in a drink, a can, not titties. Yes. <laughs> and none of them, either, they did not feature on uh, said day. But Alex, well done, you get married. Woo! Went on his stag do. Um, pretty mild. Like I, di- I didn't want to embarrass him fully because he embarrasses himself enough um, and he will listen to this and... Hopefully agree, and if not, we've lost yet another listener. But, um, yeah, uh, went on that stag do, and the the worst thing that happened was that we checked into the hotel uh, just to do a bit of a change, clothing-wise, before we went out, and he he had a bad stomach. He he went to the toilet. I'm trying to keep it as clean as I can. And then when he emerged from the toilet, he looked upon the room that he just entered, that reception had just granted him the uh, key key card too and it, it was littered with female things such as her curlers her dryers pajamas whatnot they've given him the wrong key so he defecated in the wrong room uh and he was mortified and we were all elated because that's 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 what you do on a stag too you take joy in the stag's misery so um yeah that's that's really tame isn't it yeah, so was this an was this basically an empty uh, hotel room? Yeah, but I'm just hoping and imagining them walking in and experiencing something quite horrific shortly after, <laughs> which hopefully did happen. So okay. yeah, could have been worse. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, sticks to the formula. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, okay. James, what have you been watching this week? I've had a Good luck through Netflix this week. We've got three things to talk about in varying varying length. Norm MacDonald, nothing special. This was actually released one or two months ago, but I didn't realise the algorithm didn't, didn't feed it to me. This was a special that was recorded in 2020 by Norm MacDonald over a Zoom call in a single take, and he said, I've got some material for a special. Let me record it before I go into hospital to do this procedure in case something happens. And he tragically died of leukemia a year later. So this is his last recorded piece of work. And it's a roughly one-hour special, followed by a roundtable discussion featuring 
is followed by a roundtable discussion with Dave Chappelle, David Letterman, Conan O'Brien, Adam Sandler, Molly Shannon, and David Spade. So giants of the industry and David Spade. <laughs> and they've, they've, they've just watched the Norm MacDonald special on a big screen and it cuts back to them as, they, as it finishes and they all react to it and talk about how unique it is to see a comedy special on a Zoom call with no audience and they talk about the, the, the impact that Norm had on their lives. You hear Dave Chappelle talk about what it was like working with Norm on a film, Conan O'Brien, David Letterman talking about what it was like as a guest, Adam Sandler and David Spade on, on comedy tours. The special itself is very funny. If you like Norm MacDonald content, which is just dry humour, slightly absurd and long meandering stories that don't go anywhere but it's still very entertaining it's very good he's an excellent comedy performer and it's interesting if nothing else to see someone deliver a comedy special sat in his chair with no audience it, there's even a dog barking in the background sometimes and he takes a phone call and says i'm recording a special for netflix and puts the phone down and it's all in it's all in one take there might be hidden edits in it but it's just him talking and i laughed i liked it and knowing what we know now it's it's a quite a haunting, moving thing to watch. The discussion afterwards between those six individuals in the entertainment industry, that's also interesting to see those entertainers sit down and talk to each other, not for the purpose of entertainment, but just for an actual serious chat, breaking down stand-up as a art form. And they're memories with norm mcdonald in a very serious way so you've seen those people especially like dave chappelle and conan o'brien in a completely different way and i enjoyed watching that as well and that forms part of this 90 minute piece content that's on netflix that i would really recommend that you watch very good i've i've heard about this and the the very premise but it's not really a premise is it that someone recorded something and then died shortly afterwards but that is the fact of the matter it did intrigue me are you familiar with this guy's work because prior to him dying i've not heard of him yeah he's not a well-known figure in the uk my familiarity with him came from watching youtube clips of him a few years ago and getting into that for a while and thinking he's really good and then it dropped out of my youtube algorithm but then around the time he died i just was watching more of his videos again so that's all I know of him, really. I'd like I'd, I'd never watched his previous Netflix content, which is mm. a stand-up special and a talk show that is th- the same format as a video podcast that he has, which is brilliant. And you should watch clips of his video podcast on YouTube because that is actually brilliant. That's my long answer to that question. It's all right. That's why I asked you. So despite your familiarity, it's worth the watch. That's uh, Norm MacDonald. What? Nothing special. It kind of dampens the recommendation, doesn't it? That? Yeah. What else have you been watching this week? I watched the number one film in the world, according to IMDb searches. It's The Grey Man, starring Ryan Gosling, Chris Evans, and Anna de Armas, directed by none other than the Russo brothers, the directors of, get this, Captain America Winter Soldier, Captain America Civil War, Avengers Infinity War, Avengers Endgame. And not only that, not only that, it's written by the same guys that wrote those four films, Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely, the writing pair. There's absolutely no way that this could be anything other than excellent. It's not. It's not. It's bang average <laughs> action movie content. When the reviews first, I don't have you seen the Rotten Tomatoes score? It's like 48%. It's really, it's, it's, it's low. It's no, no, lower than it should be, and it's 6.6 IMDb. And I was hyped for this, and I was going to say this is a main review, definitely. It's just so average, and the script itself, there's nothing memorable about it. There's no memorable dialogue or characters. It's nothing like the Mission Impossible films that has that little bit of extra layer of depth to it that makes it worth watching. The main character, Ryan Gosling, he's not really motivated by anything, which will be fine, but the film's over two hours long and it's, it gets... I can't decide whether it's contrived or whether it's too simple. Either way, it wasn't memorable or interesting. $200 million Netflix action film, so at least the action's going to be good. Yes and no, because when you have hands-on hand-to-hand combat scenes, that looks, that looks great, that's good. 
But then there's other, there's other big action scenes, like a chase scene involving a tram, where the CGI is very... Some of it looks like it's from a PS3 game, <laughs> maybe PS4 game, but you've seen animation that's more satisfying in like the Uncharted films. There's some really dodgy stuff in it, and it was hard to figure out where... So Ryan Gosling is on a tram, He's running on top of it. Under Armas is driving alongside him, but there's also another car. And it's not really, it wasn't clear to me at all where anyone was or where people were jumping. So action is, is no good. And maybe the Russo brothers, maybe they're just not that good. Because we did Cherry a while ago that we that, that we slated. Yeah. It was, it's a forgotten film. It wasn't very good. That was directed by them when Apple gave them money to go off and do something. And here again, and I was disappointed. I'm sorry. And like Chris Evans is even getting complimented for being the villain and being so villainous that it's like he's having fun and he's got lots of quips. But even then, it, it's, it's all that he does. All he does is just say a dismissive, funny remark for everything. And that's his whole character. You just wanted him to do a little bit more than that. But the script doesn't offer him anything better to do. Hmm. What a shame. I've, I've heard, I can't even recall where I read it. Is it like an extension of his Knives Out character, the Chris Evans role. I'm sure I read Yes, that. actually, yes, it is. I never thought of that, but it absolutely is, yes. Uh, no, you might be onto something there. Maybe the uh, Russo brothers did look out or peak with... Was it the film that you said was the best Marvel film? Yeah, the, win- that yeah the Winter Soldier is, is the best Marvel film, that's a fact. And you just wonder, now, now what? They've done the drama, Oscar bait drama, Cherry, that was bad. Done the Grey Man, that was bad. Now what? And there's another another point here, which is that I I'd quietly decided to myself that with Marvel films being on the decline, I would think right instead of just following the Marvel brand, follow the talent that made the good Marvel films. In this case, that's the directing and writing team, the four men that did the four best Marvel films. But I was wrong because they've made a stinker. Oh dear, I'd uh, I'd almost been convinced to watch this film. It's no good. The Grey Man, The Dull Man. Yep, excellent. Anything else? One last quick one to be positive. Also on Netflix, it was released three years ago, but we've just watched it. Tidying Up with Marie Kondo. Are you familiar with the KonMari method of tidying up? If I don't know what you're talking about. Okay. If, it's, if, it, if an item, this is the key lesson, the most popular lesson, if an item sparks joy, then keep it. But if an item doesn't spark joy, then throw it away. You so love the ashes. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's all. Marie Kondo, who's the, the author, the developer of this, this method, going to people's houses. Oh, our house is so cluttered. What do we do? We're going to have a, a kid. Or, oh, we're embarrassed of our home. She goes into the home, tells them how to tidy up. They tidy up, and that changes the whole lives. It's that repetitive thing. It's like a home improvement program, but for tidying up. But it's simple, slow viewing. It's entertaining trying to figure out the uh, relationship dynamics between the different couples that are on. And we're enjoying it. It's good. Good relaxing stuff on Netflix. Tidying up with Marie Kondo. Sounds different, but is this filling the void that Selling Sunset has left? Possibly, yes. Yeah. Yeah. The reality TV. Million dollar listing is doing the same for me, so I will not judge. Fair enough. Very, very broad and varied watch list there. Nice to hear. Daniel, what have you been watching? I have been watching Bosch. A lot of Bosch. So this was, for anyone who's forgot, Amazon's flagship streaming show when it first launched in guests that year. I've no idea. Not done my research. Um, And I reviewed it a while ago. And for some reason, I just stopped watching it halfway through season six. I don't know why. Don't know why. Uh, but last week I was I was very, very sick, probably the sickest I've been in some time. And I just lazed about in bed and I thought, what can I do in this, this horrible state that I'm in? And I thought, well, let's just give Bosch another go. So that's exactly what I did. Uh, as a reminder, it's based off the series of books by Michael Connolly, who was also responsible for... The Lincoln Lawyer, uh, which was a recent Netflix adaptation, which you loved, right? Fantastic. Guaranteed to be one of the top five shows of the year. Yeah, yeah. If you didn't get that, 
sarcasm because James hated it. Uh, but back to Bosch, uh, it follows Detective Harry Bosch, played by Titus Welliver, as he works on multiple homicides throughout LA. And I think I said this last time around, but it's been described as a bit of a throwback show to detective dramas that they don't really make anymore. And I agree with that. It, it, there is something old-timey about it in a very nice way that I like. It, it's not a nice show, but it's just it's comforting TV. Uh, and anyway, I finished it last week, and I was a bit upset because it's a crime drama, fair enough, and therefore not the most pleasant thing to spend your time with. But like I say, it, it is comforting. It is then I found out that the final season wasn't, in fact, the end because Amazon had chosen to pick this up for its new free TV channel, Freevee. So Bosch Legacy is is reborn, and it's Harry Bosch in a very different point in his career. The, the end of Canon Bosch, he basically, spoiler, he quits the police, and in the final episode, he hands his badge in. And it is like... I, I didn't know there was a second season coming or or a follow-on, should I say. But it was it was really satisfying as a conclusion to a TV show. There was still like a few loose ends, but I thought, do you know what? I can live with this. This is well done. It was it, it was really, really good. And then I found out that this existed. So anyway, he's turned into a private eye now because he's said, I've had enough with you, police. He doesn't say it as pathetic as that. And um it's a very different investigative feel to the show than what came previously. What I found really interesting about this is it's not like it describes it as a jump on point for people. It's really not. You have to have watched all of the rest of Bosch to really get the maximum out of this because it's a direct follow on from the last season completely. Like it picks up right where it left off. And in the last season, again, spoiler, sorry, but I'm not going to give you too many details. There's a corrupt businessman. He puts out a hit on Harry Bosch's daughter and he gets away with it. And that continues. But just like Bosch from from the good old days on Amazon Prime, it juggles quite a few storylines. And we've got a billionaire who's at death's door. He wants to locate his long lost son so that he can pass on his fortune and we've also got a prominent doctor who's been stabbed to death in the street and a peeping Tom slash rapist who is, uh, I don't know why I said it in that way, who's terrorising LA and Bosch is going to solve all of these because the police are shit. As a series that I believe has like a fraction of the budget of the original, they use it really well. The production value is slightly less, but it is barely noticeable. If you ask me, I've, I've I've read some reviews that have said that and said, ah, uh, yeah, you can tell. I I genuinely don't think that you can. And whilst it does feel a bit different in terms of where the characters are at, in terms of the lives and the careers and all that sort of stuff, it still feels familiar in terms of the structure and feel, which is is good. First series, it ends on a cliffhanger and it wants you leaving more. And for me, it had the uh, desired effect. It, it I loved it. I loved it. Long live Bosch Legacy. The only caveat, Freevee is a free channel, meaning you have to endure adverts, but they are the most inoffensive use of adverts I've seen. So I, I watched something on Channel 4 the other day. I'm not lying. It, it comes up and tells you how many adverts you've got left minutes-wise, and it said 5 minutes, 30 seconds, and I thought, you are taking the piss. This, you don't get anything over 35 seconds. It's bearable. And that as an aside, Bosch Legacy, it's free, it's on Amazon, you should probably watch the rest first, which is only seven seasons, get a grip, 68 episodes, come on, catch up, but there you go. So this is on a free V, but it's available on the Amazon Prime app, can you watch it through Amazon? Yes, free channel on Amazon Prime that you can watch, which also consists of a reboot of Judge Judy, which is great. With a, with a different Judge Judy? Or is it no, 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 same, same Judge Judy. <laughs> okay. What else have you been watching? Blackbird or Falcons something or The Devil Inside. It's got three names. I don't understand. It's a four-week-old Apple TV show starring Taron Edgerton. Is that right? I would have said that, yeah. That's fine. The guy out of The, the Gentleman. Elton John film? 
Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I think I must say this nearly every other episode, so I apologise. Saw the IMTB rating sitting at 8.6 when it first came out. I thought, that's good. Nice. That is very good. So I'll watch it and see what all the fuss is about. It definitely didn't hurt that this was in my genre as well. It follows Jimmy Keane, played by Elton John. He's a young drugs and guns peddler, living the good life in a fancy apartment, banging broads for fun. This is what it depicts in the show. Don't, don't quote me. And, and then the feds descend on his home and take him down, and they sentence him to 10 years in prison. But then he gets a very surprising shot at reducing this sentence if he'll cooperate with the FBI in assuming a new identity, transferring to another prison, and trying to elicit a confession out of a suspected serial killer who is on the cusp of being released. We've spoke about this before, and I really, really want to know your opinion. I did not get the positive reception in the first episode initially. I just didn't. I was so confused because it goes for this, like, Wolf of Wall Street sort of feel in the first half of it, where it's all very upbeat and jovial and Wolf of Wall Street-ish. And it then abandons that completely for this prison drama. So I didn't know what it was trying to be. Did you feel that in the first episode? Or am I just chatting nonsense? You mean how he does the drug deal and then meets the woman? All that bit? Yeah, it just... Maybe, to be honest, Wolf of Wall Street wasn't a great film in my eyes, so I've only seen it once, but it just felt a bit like that. Okay. Um, But no, fair enough. I don't agree with that assessment. I just thought it was... This was his life before, and then he goes to prison. Do you not even think that the first and second half of the episode just feel like completely different shows? I didn't feel that way. Okay, right. Well, we'll we'll move on. Yeah. It's fine. (laughs) Um, The confusion was temporary, and it then settles into it, and I, I do like where the show's going. There's there's currently, I think, four episodes out, of which I've seen all of them. And it's very much a tension-building exercise of will Jimmy, this drug dealer who's trying to get this confession off a serial killer, can he keep his cover? Will the cops find more evidence to ensure that Larry, who is the serial killer, never gets released? And what I really liked about this is Larry, who is played by an actor that I don't know his name. He's just not a stereotypical kind of portrayal of a serial killer. He's like mild-mannered in his demeanour. And there's even despite that, it's really softly spoken. But you feel like there's something very off and chilling about him. I personally really like what the actor, who I've never seen anything before, or maybe have and haven't realised, I like what he's doing. It feels like an alternative take on, you know, countless portrayals of these sorts of horrible people. Apparently, it's based on true story and not one that I'm familiar with, which leads me to believe that I know where this is going. Read between the lines, if you will. Taron Edgerton is very good in it, but there's something smarmy about him that I find difficult to like. But I do think that's part of his character and the personality. I think you've said it before. Apple has nailed the art of delivering a very polished production. But for me, the first episode didn't feel right. I know that we're on completely opposite sides of the uh, spectrum on that one, but whatever. Uh, also good to see Ray Liotta in one of his last roles. I say that, I IMDb'd him the other night. He's got six other things due out. So you haven't seen the last of him. Um, but he does not look well, and he's playing a character... Jimmy's dad, who who isn't well. So I do wonder how much of that was acting, but it nonetheless was nice to see him on screen. There is a prison scene in episode three, which is all out chaos and amazingly done, very well done. But similar to episode one, it came out of nowhere and I didn't know where the build-up was to it or it, it just fell out of place. So because of that, I don't think it's perfect. I don't know how much money Apple plow into bot reviews on IMDb to give some of their stuff an 8.3 rating that it's gone down to now, which I don't think it deserves, but it's still worthy of your time. Have you seen all four episodes? Yes, I have, yeah. I'm going to keep watching and we'll see what I think of it as well. 8.3 does seem rather high. What what were your high-level observations on episode one? Did you like it? I liked it. It had the Apple TV polish. Yeah, <laughs> the Apple TV sheen. Good, good quality finish. Good unibody space grey. 
uh, finish with a MagSafe charging port. And all the performances are good. The writing is, is good. And we'll see. We'll see what happens. Things are better actually happen each episode. And it's not just dragged and out. You oh, said it, does. That, it does. Yeah, okay, that's good. You said that you didn't like the smarminess of the main character, Taron Edgerton. What I didn't like is that he's a drug and gun dealer. No, I don't mind that. I've got a lot of friends who roll in those circles. So. That's fine. What else have you been watching? <laughs> um, <laughs> I really don't. Um, just to be clear, The Black Phone. Yes. We both watched this, we right? We both watched it. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Went to the cinema because. It's had a lot of praise, hasn't it? Uh, if you don't know, it's about a mental paedophile, it would seem, who was creepy mass. He steals children whilst pretending to be a magician and carrying some balloons. And then he stores them in his soundproof basement that consists of a mattress and a landline telephone that BT don't seem to prov- be providing any service to. Based on a short story by Joe Hill, Stephen King's son, that might seal you on it. Um, James, what about you first? Well, we were going to do this as a main review, but we've decided not to last minute because, and this is not a bad thing, it's very straightforward. I think it's Blumhouse, isn't it? Yes, it is. It's a straightforward film. There isn't a great deal to comment on, but that's not a bad thing because it's suitably... Creepy and tense, and Ethan Hawke is always good in anything. You would think from the setup that it's all going to be the boy that gets kidnapped just in this room the whole time, but it's not. You see a lot of the outside world and the investigation taking place as well. So for a horror film with a simple premise, which is that the, which is that the black phone has some supernatural features i was entertained and i think the positive reception it's had is fine it's deserved it's good worth watching what did you think didn't like it right (laughs) um to be fair to it there's more to it than a standard horror film because there's there's character development of sorts and there's a bit of a emotional arc to it but I, i just thought it was extremely okay and i i was looking forward to this because i think it must have premiered at some sort of festival about a year ago and it had rave reviews. And ever since then, I've been like, oh, I can't wait to watch this film. And as soon as I actually got around to watching it, I thought, yeah, it's all right. Which is not what I wanted from this. And I, I do feel like a bit of that is a problem of the horror genre itself, where it's like, if it's slightly above average, it's raved about. And that is what it feels like with this film, because it's not, it's not that there aren't like there's some intense scenes and there's some good dramatic bits in it and, and scary and chilling bits that they've filmed very well. But I, I just, yeah, the supernatural angle that you mentioned, I didn't know that prior to watching it and I, I didn't expect that to be part of this film. But yeah, I, I think what it boiled down to was Ethan Hawke, who, minor spoiler, but if you look at IMDb, you'll know this, he is the antagonist of this he's he's the killer there's no explanation as to why he is the way he is or if there was i've completely missed it and there's little throwaway lines about him being similar to the boy who's in captivity and that he is and experiences certain things but it's never explained and it just felt a bit lazy in that respect so i don't know this is definitely a victim of me dialing my expectations up too high, but it didn't quite fit the bill for me. And I was I was left a bit subdued and thinking, I wish I hadn't spent my money at the cinema. That's fair, I think. Because the IMDb rating is only something like 6.6, so it's not like it's being hailed as one of the best things ever made. Is it not 6.6? Am I thinking of... I might be thinking of the Greyman. 7.0. Bang okay. on. Right. Anyway... That is quite high. For an IMDb rating, that is quite high. But um, yeah, I enjoyed it. I liked the, uh, well, liked is the wrong word, but the abusive father angle and the standing up for yourself angle, that was, that added something. Oh, the abu- I thought. Abusive father was great. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I did like that. And at the end, there is a moment where you think, oh, they're, they're just going to, they're going to redeem him. But they don't. 
it's, it's very well done. So it's not that there aren't high points for this, because there definitely is, but uh, victim of expectations, as I say. So there you go. Well, that was an extensive watch list. That was, yes, that was. We should maybe need to keep real news short. Let's see if we can do that. It's the real thing. It is now real, real news, news. The decline of Netflix is a hot topic and there's been two more articles since we last discussed it. Did you see that according to the BBC and other outlets, Netflix lost almost a million subscribers? Did you see that news? Again, as as per me, read the headlines. It was less than they predicted, right? Yes, they lost less than they predicted. So the graph actually shows that it doesn't mean they're in a terminal decline. But uh, the BBC leads with the fact that they've lost almost a million subscribers, subscribers between April and July with people quitting the service. And this is for two quarters in a row that they've lost members. It's shocking, absolutely shocking, because it's the first subscriber loss since 2011. But as you say, it's less than they expect. And it comes with the explanation from analysts that when you're the leader, there's only one direction to go and that's down and there's more competition and the pandemic's over. So it's going to go down. But the fact is that looking at this graph, they've already got what something like 225 million. So a loss of a million just puts them at 224 million. So they've still got loads and loads and loads and loads and loads of subscribers. I think they're okay. They're making cuts, aren't they? Here, there, and everywhere. So I don't think we even mentioned it on this uh, podcast, but didn't they completely like, that means get rid of their animation department? Do you remember? I didn't, I didn't know that. Uh, I, I might be making that up. Google it yourselves. I don't think I am. But yeah, that's, it's worrying times, but at the same time, it's kind of to be expected, isn't it? I mean, I even me, I don't know if you're the same in that three of your watch list items this week with Netflix and normally mine would be too but I really struggle for something to watch on Netflix at the moment where I really want to if, if I've completely out of options I'll just go with something that I'm not actually in the mood for but this week I've subscribed to additional channels on Amazon Prime that that is how deprived of content that I feel with Netflix okay do you know what I mean yeah I know what you mean if anything, I will go to Netflix if I'm not bothered about what I'm going to watch because it's most likely going to be mediocre and forgettable. That's why I watch Netflix. I just think I've got some time. I need to just chill out and not be that engaged in something. Just put something on. Oh, here's a program about tidying up. <laughs> yeah. In contrast to say Blackbird, which is highly engaging and intense. If I'm going to watch that, I want to actually commit time to watch it properly. Does that, make, does that make sense? No, it, it, so there's, it, it, a, there's a, So there's some things where I w- I'll actually say, I want to watch Blackbird. I want to watch Yellow Jackets and I'll watch them because I've heard that they're good. And then the platform that they're on is the platform that they're on. Whereas with Netflix, watching Netflix is its own thing. Yeah. And it's just whatever they've got in the bargain bin because I want to watch something mediocre. No, it, it, it does make sense. And, and prime example, I think, which is, is just testament to how shit they are with marketing, is so there's a film this week with, oh, I'm going to forget his name, the guy out of McMafia and Gemma Arterton. I've got no idea what McMafia is. You, you've got okay. access to the internet on your computer while, while yeah, you're no, talking. All right, well, I'm talking. I can't type at the same time. Be audible. <laughs> James Norton. Him, yes. And Gemma Arterton is her, isn't it? You don't, I'm just questioning you, expecting you to go. You're, you're asking me about what you've seen. It's called Rogue Agent, right? Right. And yep. I saw this thing on Amazon, but I went on the What's New and Popular Rogue Agent 2022. I thought, never even heard of this. Looked it up, and all I could find on Google, I do Google things was that it was released on the 12th of August. And I thought, is this some sort of weird error where Netflix have released something before they should have done? Turns out that must be like a global sort of thing or America where they release it in theatres. Don't know. 
But it's just the fact that there's quite a high-profile film that I've had to scroll across and across about to find that it exists. It's not promoted us at all. And I'm saying, like, I'm struggling for content on Netflix. It's not that. There's loads on there. They're actually getting increasingly poor about telling you what it is. Maybe I wouldn't need to subscribe to other things if it just... I just think the algorithm's actually really poor. If I'm honest, I've watched enough stuff on there for it to go, you love murder, here's some murder. It doesn't even do that. Anyway, I've completely gone off on a tangent. No, it's but... all that's all good because it's going to link into my second Netflix-related article. That's such a good point. Rogue Agent, Rotten Tomatoes, zero critics, zero audience scores. Yeah, so I couldn't find a review. 66 ratings on IMDb. And this is a Netflix film starring Gemma Arterton, who is a pretty big British star, who's in a James Bond film. This year, that's not good. Not great from Netflix. Or have they bought it? They've bought the film and they've just gone zero marketing, but they could at least put it in the algorithm. Like we've watched Stranger Things, get Stranger Things out of my front page of Netflix. Yeah, I've seen it now. I don't need to see it again. Give me something new. Yeah, anyway, Sorry. so so uh, the BBC article concludes by giving a, a quote from some guy and he says that they don't have the sandpit to themselves anymore in an inflationary environment like the one we're in and also great programming from the competition, people are going to reevaluate how much they're willing to pay. So that leads me into an article on Variety.com, which says why Netflix's loss of licensed titles could spark a content crisis, which has, it's got three bullet points at the top, which means that I don't have to read the article at all. It's just saying that some of Netflix's most popular shows are exiting the platform. Data shows a shrinking catalogue of licensed content and survey results point to diminishing popularity of Netflix originals. So if, if Netflix are losing their licensed content, as in the content that they haven't produced, and their own originals are becoming less popular, then what have they got? Nothing. They've got nothing. And there's a very instructive uh, bar chart here where you can see from 2017 2022 the proportion of licensed titles and netflix originals and they've always got about five and a half thousand titles on the whole platform but the proportion of originals is increasing it used to be almost nothing it used to be like less than a thousand but now it's up to over two thousand of that almost six thousand so it's almost a third now do you feel that when you look through the licensed content of netflix it feels a bit like a bargain bin or stuff that you've seen before Either that or give you a prime example. There is a Channel 5 series called The Holiday, which is based on a book, which only aired like three months ago. And suddenly it's on Netflix. And I'm sure two weeks ago it was in the top 10. Yet if you go on IMDb or you looked at the Guardian reviews of The Holiday, it was seen as absolute nonsense. Channel 5 bargain bin entertainment. And that's exactly what it was. Nobody thought it was good, and yet they've just shipped it off to Netflix and it's made its way into the top ten. So that is what it is. It's just snapping up anything that it can that resembles, I don't know, pre-existing property. Like I said, it's based on a book. Some people go, oh, I've read that book. I'll watch it. Guess what? It's dire because it was made by Channel 5. So, yeah, there's a trend here, and I don't think it's a very good one. Even if you look if you look in the top 10, I've not done my analysis, but over the last 12 months, I would say, with no analysis, 30% of all that stuff that is in the top 10 are things that have been critically panned and that had no audience or completely bombed. They're just buying rubbish. I would agree. Also, no analysis or anything to back it up, but... I agree. I've just opened the app to look at what the top tens are, but it's only showing Netflix stuff because I'm on a VPN. (laughs) So I can't actually give you any insight on that. Maybe it's because the the algorithm gives me more foreign language content because I'm so cultured. I watch foreign stuff as well. But a good amount of that, thousands and thousands of titles, a lot of it is foreign language content that no one's going to watch. It's usually good. I don't bother talking about it. Yeah, and I I think they've reached a really weird stage as well where the competitors, the marginal offering is actually more of an attractive proposition. Like you you can go on Paramount Plus, which I did on Amazon Prime the other day and go, I've heard about two or three of these things, but guess what? I didn't have to cycle through 5,000 tiles 
to arrive at that point where I've heard about them because they've got maybe, again, off the top of my head, don't know because I didn't count them, 200 shows or films. So it actually makes your life easier in terms of, I'm going to watch this rather than I can keep on scrolling and what's this, what's this, what the, they've almost shot themselves in the foot a bit. I think we've really gone down a rabbit hole. Yeah, we've really, was, going, but... yeah I didn't see this coming either. But again, same point as you, Apple TV, they've currently got coming out For All Mankind Season 3, Blackbird and Physical Season 2 with Rose Byrne. And those are all well-reviewed, highly polished, properly made programs that are all worth watching that are releasing week by week on apple tv and that's that's enough to get you through they may very well be the victims of their own downfall but we'll see it's too early to tell but the signs aren't looking good yes tune into next week's show where we'll be reviewing persuasion on netflix adapted from the jane austen novel but for this week we have a, a main review that was at the cinema hello i'd like to order an opinion this film is new, fresh point of view. Promise it back, this is a fact. We in the aisles, here are some aisles. Thoughts in sync, tell you what to think. I'll listen to you, but please don't rap again. This week's main review is Brian and Charles. My name's Brian. This is my infamous inventions pantry. It's actually a cow shed. Things went a bit topsy-turvy in my life. And I was very alone. That's when I just started making stuff. My new project, I'm building a robot. Didn't look too bad, does he? I wonder what he'll do when I turn him on. You'd like me to give you a name? Tony? Charles? Charles. <laughs> Charles? Charles. You like that name, do you? Hello, Brandon. Hello, Charles. It's lovely to meet you. This is incredibly with all the available money for films going to Marvel, a group of comedians go to Wales for four weeks. One of them dresses in a cardboard box and they film what happens. The result is Brian and Charles, a heartwarming, or should I say, CPU warming, coming of age tale, or should I say, coming of software update tale, about a bromance, or should I say, bro robotmance. Brian is a lonely inventor in rural Wales who spends his days building quirky, unconventional contraptions that seldom work. Undeterred by his lack of success, he soon attempts his biggest project yet. Using a washing machine and various spare parts, he invents Charles, an artificial intelligence robot that learns English from a dictionary and has an obsession with cabbages. James, what did you think about Brian and Charles? You suggested this film as a main review with very little explanation, just that it was new out in cinemas. And I'm going to come right out and say that I am so happy that you recommended this. I really enjoyed it quite a lot. I didn't know the background to this film. I don't know if you know, knew or not, but I'll just be very brief as described by the, the Hollywood Reporter. This all stems from a radio show that... David Earl did as this Brian character. And he had one of the Alan Partridge producers calling in, doing a robot voice. And that evolved, evolved into this Brian and Charles stage act that's toured around for a few years. And then there was a short film made of this in 2017 or 2019, depending where you look. And now we have this feature film. And I only knew that backstory after watching the film. So it's not important, but it does make it more interesting to know that this is a this is a, this it's a well polished act. This Brian and Charles robot thing. The story is very straightforward. He makes the robot and he forges a bond with the robot. Their relationship has ups and downs, and there's something introduced which is not in the trailer, which is their the neighbors on the neighboring farm. They're not who are not very nice people. They're a looming threat, and things are foreshadowed and it reaches a satisfying conclusion and there's a bit of romance as well. So it has it all, despite being an extremely low-budget film, shot over four weeks. That was not a joke, it was actually made over four weeks. It's so refreshing, and we think we do say this every time, it's refreshing to watch a 90-minute film where the first 30 minutes, it's all set up, he builds the robot. Second 30 minutes, conflict of some kind. And the final 30 minutes, 
it concludes. The, the feeling of watching a film like that after watching Love and, Th- Love and Thunder and The Greyman in the same period of time, it, I had this, this light, airy feeling watching it and I was, I was laughing consistently. And I've got to say, I was even crying as well at some points and I was in tears by the end, which you sort of expect given that the trailer does pitch it as a comedy that is about loneliness and friendship as well. And it's a film that's based in Wales, which is in the United Kingdom, where in England, which is also in the United Kingdom. So I think it's fair to say that it's, it's, a, it's, it's in the UK. I'm in the UK. So it was watching a film that was from my country so it felt it was a familiar setting the comedy the timing and the pacing and all the performances it's very familiar territory as a veteran uk comedy watcher it went down very well i think some people may watch it and think oh don't get it this is just boring and stupid but this is exactly the kind of material that we've been watching literally for decades in a way it's exactly what you'd expect but it's surprisingly good for what it is it's a joyful absurd obscure film daniel what did you think of brian and charles well first off i'm, I'm really glad to hear you say what you just said or am i do you know what it was the same thing that i thought it was really refreshing coming off thor love and thunder to go and watch something that was not a big film this is like a really small national lottery funded british indie film that will most likely slip under the radar for the vast majority of people but that that is why i thought we should pick it because we, we've done this a few times and where we've picked something that is a bit more obscure and left field i think we've had like either a very good viewing experience off the back of it or an interesting discussion and i don't personally feel this isn't a slight on the film i don't think there's too much to discuss with this film but it doesn't take away from the fact that it is quite an well very enjoyable experience I didn't know the background of this that you've just explained to the extent that you've just said. I thought that this was a spin-off. Apparently, David Earl, who's in this film, he's called Brian in the Afterlife uh, Afterlife series with Ricky Gervais, and I thought this was some sort of spin-off from Afterlife. It's not. I think that's purely coincidental um, based off what you've said. And it is its own thing, regardless of the, what was it, 2017 or 2019 film, depending on where you look. I really wanted to like this film, and I did. I think you were kind of saying the same thing. I felt somewhat obliged. It's like an underdog in some respects. It's a British film. I'm sure some of the production crew is is ginger. So I, I was rooting for it, and I wanted it to be good, and I'm so glad to say that it definitely was. It's, it's not going to set the world on light. I don't think it's profound enough with its messaging or plot to do that, but it really doesn't matter because... Pretty much 90 minutes of it, I'm just lost in the world of this lonely guy who's in the countryside attempting to improve his life by, you know, building a robot for company. And I think that sounds depressing on the face of it, but it it really isn't in, in the confines of this film. I think the central idea is there, but it's not hitting you over the head saying, feel sorry for him, he's lonely, Come on, oh, it, it's, it's, it's really quite light-hearted throughout the most of it. I think that's what the film's going for. It's not trying to be heavy, it's just playful, it's harmless, and it's just really pleasant in tone, which is so hard to find, I think, in films, that it was a welcome distraction for me, who is more au fair with blood, guts, and, and a bit of murder. So it was, it was a nice change of pace. I think what's key to it working is that the central dynamic between Brian and Charles, that's the enjoyment in this film. The amount of personality that you get out of what is essentially a washing machine torso and a mannequin head with no facial expressions is just so expertly done. And he's like, he's a bit of like a naive child, but posh. And it makes him really endearing. And I don't know if, if you see the physical presence of this stupid, stupidly dressed robot next to Brian. It's just funny. Like It doesn't need to have a funny line accompanying it. I just found it hilarious. So yeah, I, did, I laughed out loud a few times, but throughout the whole thing, I was smiling like ear to ear. And it feels like a bit of a disrespect to this film to say it's not begging to be watched in a cinema. Don't uproot your life and change your plans to go and see this in a cinema. You can watch it streaming in a few months' time, and that's fine. And I think 
we said a similar thing about I forget the full title of the film, but the Benedict Cumberbatch Lewis Wayne film that had more visual marvel to it than this film does. But don't let that stop you from watching it because I think if you sat down on a Saturday and Sunday and went, I'm going to watch Brian and Charles, I think you would come away from it just feeling good about yourself because it's just it's really uplifting, I think, and just a very lovely, nice film to end a weekend on. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very glad that we watched it as well. Very well said. To issue an addition to what you've just said about, I keep wanting to say James Earl, but that's James Earl Jones. David Earl, who plays Brian. This Brian character, Brian Gittins, he's been playing this character as part of his stand-up routine for over a decade. All right. I think then he's gone into afterlife just playing this character and then it's 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 just him playing the character just in this film because that was my reaction as well when I saw the trailer I thought he's just doing the afterlife character again but it's his character that he's had all along and did you feel that even though it's not in the like you say it's not depressing it's not in the dialogue but there are moments in David Earl's performance where he has this desperate lonely look in his eyes because what neither of us not neither of us have said is that it's done as a mockumentary this is a mockumentary early on you hear the voices behind the camera to establish that so david l speaks lots of camera and you can see his desperation and there's very subtle well i don't think it was very subtle there's a subtle hint that he's known as being quite poor in the town so when he goes shopping i think it's clear that he pretends a lid is already off some yogurt just so he can get it free and then when he goes to the till, the woman says, I'll, I'll, give you, I'll give you that one for free. And it, oh, it's just a pound for you. Have you got a pound? And he, it takes him ages to find a pound. And she says, oh, it's fine. It's fine. And it, feel, it felt to me like she just felt sorry for this lonely old guy. There's a sadness to it, but it's underneath the surface. I, th- I think that's a sign as well of a really good film because I didn't even notice that that you've just said. I did not even notice, and it is so simple as a premise and uh, the story as a whole, but yet I think there are layers to that. If I went back and watched this, knowing where it ends up, I think there will be one or two things that I take away from it that I didn't realise the first time around. So glad that you pointed that out. But it is very funny. I think we both, it's it's a very funny film, primarily. I think we always say it's very hard to just describe funny things, but two funny things that I've written down. Number one is when Charles the robot is dancing on top of a footstool and he suddenly falls off and he falls so suddenly and violently and the head crushes right into the cardboard box and I just piss myself and all he's doing is falling over. That's the most basic thing is man falls over. It just felt like it was genius in that moment. And uh, you're laughing like you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Oh, completely agree. Dancing. And there's another bit where... um, the, the love interest, who obviously has has no name, uh, the love interest says to Brian, you should just use your imagination. And Brian says, that's what I said to you before. And the love interest says, yeah, that's why I said it. That cracked me up as well. It was just so sincere. But yeah. also that's really funny. Oh, it, was, it was really, it's really, really good. Uh, I've, no, I've no idea why, but I've half suspected that you'd be a bit more lukewarm on this. So I'm glad you enjoyed it as much as I did. But having said that, did you really? Because would you recommend Brian and Charles, James? Yes, I would 100% without hesitation recommend Brian and Charles. Daniel, would you recommend this film? With an overheated CPU heart, yes, I would. Shall we go into spoilers? Yes, let's. Bruce Willis' real name is Tyler Durden. Sank at the end. Oh, thanks a lot. Spoilers. There is a story that builds and reaches its conclusion, which is that there's an unpleasant family living next door to Brian. Is he called Stu, the guy that is... Dickhead. Dickhead. Yeah, so there's this dickhead in his family. They're a bunch of bullies, and this dickhead kidnaps Charles. Brian is, is so... He's so timid that he's unable to stand up for himself and take back Charles, even with the support of his nameless love interest, who I think I will actually look up at this point. His nameless love interest, Hazel. So even with Hazel with him, after their romance has pretty much been secured, he can't, he just can't overcome dickhead. So a bonfire takes place at the end of the film, which is nicely foreshadowed in an earlier scene. A bonfire 
takes place, where Dickhead, it might be Eddie actually, he throws Brian onto the bonfire. And there's a scene which it really just touched me quite a lot, where Brian's saying, I can't stand up to Eddie. I can't punch him. And Hazel says, Brian, there are things that you can't do that Eddie can do, but there are things that you can do that he can't do. That's such an inspiring point. But even that choked me up a little bit. So in the finale, Brian saves Charles from the bonfire. Eddie is goading Brian into a fight. And Brian, the failed joke inventor, uses an invention that launches this metal thrusting punch out of his chest into Eddie, makes Eddie fly back into his car, humiliates him. And then the whole town that is there, they all start shouting at Eddie and saying, we're sick of you, we're sick of you. And Brian doing what he can do he uses his his invention to have like a pneumatic metal punching device and that inspires the town to stand up to eddie and then charles uses the cab i feel like i'm getting a little bit emotional but i cut myself off quickly enough charles uses the cabbage cannon to fire cabbages at eddie and his family and they all drive off embarrassed that's the plot of brian and charles what a film (laughs) what a film indeed First thing that I wanted to pick up on, I felt weird writing this down as a note, but I actually think you're in the same sort of mindset as me. So pleasant was the film and this dynamic between Brian and Charles. I only really realised it after I'd watched it, but I utterly despised all the scenes with this neighbour family who was so repugnant. It really interrupted, and I think purposely so, but it interrupted that, free-flowing, like, oh, isn't this nice? Look at them getting on and bonding and blah, blah, blah. It ruined it, and I hated them for it. And every second that they were there, I just wanted them to go and just to resume this sort of relationship that they had before. And I I know there's a bit of strife with Brian and Charles because Charles developed some sort of teenage streak where he wants to go off and do his own thing. But still, it was so enjoyable to watch and all those scenes with this bullying family with a complete opposite that. It, it, it can't have been coincidence. They obviously meant for that to happen, but I actively hated those scenes. Do you know what I mean? Know what you mean. Was... Know what you mean, yeah. I really hated them. And again, like with everything else, that family, the way that they are, it's simple but effective. Like Everyone knows someone like that or has known yeah. someone at some point. It's straightforward. These are the bad guys, but it works because you really, really hate them. And then when Brian punches him with this metal arm that I've really not described well at all it's extremely satisfying yeah I don't, I don't know how you describe that well to be honest see i really love this film and i think we've been pretty obvious about that for this review so i don't want to bring it down a peg or two but there, were, there was two things that I, I had a bit of a niggle with so there is a line earlier on where brian says that you know i don't think answering the world's problems is hitting someone on the schnozzle and butchering whatever he said. But at the end of the day, he doesn't punch him on the nose, but he still resorts to violence. And all the way through, I was thinking, there's there's no swearing, there is no violence, there's none of that. What what a really different experience of a film. And the, the fact that it kind of went to that, even though it's not like, it's not gratuitous, he's not beating the absolute shit out of him, but I thought you've ruined your messaging a bit here. Interesting, yeah. That's, that's a good point, actually. I don't know how to resolve that because the really good line where Hazel says he can do things you can't do, but you can do things that he can't do. And that immediately makes me think, right, he's going to invent something to solve the problem. But he just basically hits him with metal. <laughs> yeah. <Which> is, yeah. <laughs> Anywhere. Like yeah. I said, that, that's just... And, and the other one, if I do have to say it, was, was the mockumentary aspect of it. I completely bought it. I forgot about it by the end. But there's an interaction with the crew earlier on, and then it's almost like they don't exist. And I half thought, just commit to one or the other. Just don't have it a documentary, and we're just observing this. Because there's not even that much talking to the camera for it to need it. I thought, just do away with that element completely. But that's me in my lofty... It's not a lofty, you know, house. I'm just on the third story of a normal yeah. property. Well, we're, we're 103 episodes in, so we're, we're seasoned uh critics at this point yeah well i'm not i'm not taking that away from it that is minor minor stuff just to pick up on that point i noticed that as well where the talking to the camera 
the crew only speaks once and then it's forgotten about. But I just thought the reason they've done that is it's purely functional to have Brian have someone to talk to because otherwise he'd just be talking to himself and it'd be a bit disturbing. That's how I interpreted yeah. it. Like I say, I think that's clutching at straws because it's still ignoring that. And bearing it in mind, it still works as a film completely. So whatever, doesn't really yeah. matter. That was just me with my critical cap on. Okay. That was Brian and Charles. But what are we doing next week? Something a bit more expensive? More expensive, more likely that you will actually see it. It is Bullet Train with Brad Pitt, who shows no signs of slowing down. Much like the train that he's on. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening. If you wish to leave us any feedback, you can do so at inthealspodcast.gmail.com. Leave us a five-star review and rating on whatever podcast platform you wish to listen on and follow us on instagram at in the hours podcast james if you were a robot what would your name be that's not what i, I wasn't expecting that i was just googling loneliness charities because i just thought you were going to ask us about <laughs> yeah, let, <let's laughs> whether or not to build a robot if i was a robot i would be called motoko kusanagi who's the coolest robot ever what would your robot name be Brian, no, that's the name. No, I've just stolen that subconscious. Um, Phil Meadsley. Okay. <laughs> See you next week. See you next week. Bye.